Welcome to Building Vesser, a podcast that takes you behind the scenes with our Quantum Spin Studios team, where we talk about a process of building a completely original franchise IP from scratch. I am Victory Palmisano. I'm Ann Halk. I'm Mike McCarg. Welcome to Building Vesser. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Let's just loosen up a little bit and chat with each other for a moment. I'm so loose. Had a nice little extra morning drive down to your place yeah. today. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel so close to you all today. <laughs> literally. <laughs> yeah. Anne is recording from literally the room next door, my baby's room. Mm-hmm. Because she's in town. Woo. And why are you in town, Anne? To play fun games with fun people. Yeah. We're hosting a really exciting game tomorrow. Play fun games, get fun prizes. Does that still work? <laughs> I think it works. Totally works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's exciting stuff. And Mike, you were so stealth. I actually went out to answer the door, and Izzy said he was just already been here and left. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we live in the part of LA where mileage takes the least time for sure. This is true. It's not close. I mean, I was surprised by it. <laughs> yeah. We thought that we would start out this morning by actually starting with a listener question because we're starting to get more questions every week. That does happen. I could say with some confidence that as podcasts go, you get more questions. Right? It's shocking. <laughs> as each podcast is released, more questions come in. Someone should do a podcast that's just answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> we have some experience there. That's an inside joke for uh, some of the folks listening. Oh, that's real inside. <laughs> th mullen 93 from instagram asks you talked about the 24 exalted is that the number of exalted there is and always will be 24 or is that the current number and there may be more if someone is awesome <laughs> i really like that question a lot I like the notion of like, well, but there's someone just too great to not be one of the exalted. So the exalted came from something called the emergent compromise. So basically after the Amazon empire entered the age of consequence, which is a really protracted collapse. We tried to have it be historically accurate. If we look on earth, empires don't collapse overnight. We, we refer to them as having done such, but it takes a long time, decades to centuries for empires to really decline. So the age of consequence was kind of a slow thing. It felt, you know, certainly, y'all can hear that, right, buddy? Yes, but it's charming. Okay. Well, he might not stop unless I go stop him. Uh, <laughs> buddy! I've got to go turn his TV off. I'm sorry, I'll be right back. It's okay. That was like such a Southern pronunciation of buddy. Buddy! Hey, buddy! <laughs> When we open the blinds of the living room, which is right in front of our couch, Buddy sits on the couch and looks outside, and we call that Buddy's TV. Like, he likes ah, to watch his shows. Yeah, right. So, yeah, so the Exalted were set up by the Seven in something called the Emergent Compromise, because there's a weird thing with the Vahashoth being this uh, last remaining city in an empire. They had some reaction to the way things were done before, and in the prior era... Society was ruled by people called Ascendant, and those are people who, I think we've mentioned on the, the program before, can both do imminent magic, have imminent ability, and do Sigil Arcana. And the Emergent Compromise basically said, no, no more of that. <laughs> so 
if you're emergent or you practice sigil arcana, one person can't do both anymore. And two, if you can do either, you can't hold political power. So we're going to divide up the powers in society. And a lot of people were really upset that like emergent people existed at all. There had been some societal tension, even some like uh, outright conflict between emergent and non-emergent persons of all of all species. And the tour effects also got real spicy during the age of consequence. So people want the tour effects to stop being spicy as you typically want to do with giant eusocial insects that can perform magic. So, so how do we get them calmed down? But we still need emergent people. That's what the seven realized. Without emergent people, we're just like an hors d'oeuvre waiting for a titan to come along and snack on us. We need our own uh, capsaicin, basically. <laughs> if we're a pepper. We need to not get eaten. And that is the emergent. So they set up the exalted as this like aspirational thing. Number one, they are basically an elite pseudo-military strike force, but they're also positioning where emergent people are compared to society. They're protector servants, but they don't rule us. They protect us, right? So it's like the ritual is very important to that propaganda. So I'm sure the Seven would love it if there's like this increasingly capable sixth right candidate way off in exile. Uh, because that means that they can swap them in very quickly when one of the exalted dies. But no one in Hesh would know who that person is because by design, all emergent people are sent across the sea to exile. Exile is very, very far. The sea that lies between Hesh and exile is a bit larger in length than the longest point in the Mediterranean. So it's like a significant distance away. And yeah, so there would only be 24. The seven would absolutely be briefed by the Expeditionary Corps and the Augury. They kind of always know who, to use sports terms, the draft picks are among a sixth right expeditioners. Uh, but no one in Hesh knows anyone who's emergent. That's a household name. That's not one of the exalted. There's something else, too, about the uh, Spicy Pepper Poster Boys, which is, and, and I think we've talked about this in the past, the mortality rate of being an exalted is very high. Yeah. Just like with peppers, there are things that will still try to eat them because we, we eat habaneros <laughs> and titans will try to do that as well. And the exalted are who is actually put into the path of a lot of the big, scary, dangerous things that no one else goes and addresses. So it is very likely that if you've got someone who's awesome enough to be an exalted, they will get their chance just based off of the fact that there's probably going to be an opening pretty soon. Yeah, you occasionally might go a year and a half or two years without replacing one of the exalted, but in some years you replace like three or 18 of the exalted, yeah. depending on who's in the neighborhood, as it were. Tough job. Mm-hmm. But they get statues made of them, and they're you know they're taught about in, in history class. <laughs> I mean, they're they're also the emergent that look the coolest because they've trained so long and been influenced by their emanations so heavily that they appearance wise look wild because they they've gotten to essentially the end of where we know their emanation can take them. I love Anne how I'm always like, here's the meta context of this information and then you're like 
here's how you would actually experience it sensorily. <laughs> it's, it's why we're a pair. It's very, it's very good. <laughs> so, and to that end, can you share maybe a couple examples of what an exalted person might look like? Yeah. I mean, you just call them the exalted. The uh, exalted, but yeah. yeah. But just an example or two to, to give some visual ideas since that's that's what you do. You You create the visuals. Yeah. So in actually one of the one shots we have written, there is a chance at the end, yes, that we could see several exalted come in to save the day. And one of them has in, in sort of their foray of powers, the ability to turn the sky into complete darkness. And it's in with like, you'd see stars and darkness and all of that. And you would see that sort of thing start to be reflected pretty early on as they started to train their emanation of like a little bit of transparency, how they respond to light would be pretty different even around third right. And so by the time they get to be exalted, you've got someone who basically at will can disappear or I, I don't know if you've seen like Vanta Black, the blackest black paint where it like, yes. it's so dense. I thought you meant like an anime. No. <laughs> I mean, there might be one right now. <laughs> uh, just a, a Stuart Simple Anish Kapoor uh, yes. fighting style anime. <laughs> Knockdown drag out. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's the kind of thing where like your eyes hurt to look at a little bit because it's so dense. And, and they could kind of flip the switch the other way as well to where it's like so bright in the other direction. So, so that's been one of the ones that's really interesting to try to figure out because it sort of it starts to break the rules of visually what we perceive with our eyes, and so trying to depict that in a way for people to perceive with their eyes mm -hmm. is a challenge, but it, it's fun. There's another exalted in that same adventure who I think really typifies the amount of change in the opposite direction that an exalted can make. So. It's a human person, six foot eight, and you never see any skin. Like they're completely covered in armor, but that armor grows out of them. That always looks molten. So mm -hmm. think about like molten steel. Their armor is molten metal. And click behind the camera here. If you were to see this exalted getting ready to go out and be seen by the public, they start to sweat molten metal that scalds them as it happens. So it's like, you know, like everyone sees this cool elemental weapon master that can, you know, swing a glaive and the glaive throws bits of molten metal at the target and it's terrifying. But that amount of emanation channeled through this person changed them permanently physically, disfigured them basically, and causes pain each and every time they, they use that level of imminent channeling through their body. There, there was something really fun that we talked about with that exact exalted is the fact that they are channeling it from within their body and stuff, but they can also connect to it in the earth around them. So you're talking someone who can like add on to what they're already generating by the ground, the earth and everything around them start to melt rocks and, and pull weapons and all sorts of fun stuff from that because they've got such a lock on their emanation that they can sort of start to find and relate to things externally as well. Yeah, the Exalted are like proper superheroes. Yeah, they're rad. 
That's super cool. (laughs) Um, We have another listener question. This one comes from Typo Panther. I know Typo Panther. You do? I do, yeah. Amazing. Well, hi, Typo Panther. Greetings. I'm enjoying learning about Vesser. Thank you very much. And I have a question that I hope you can answer on the podcast. You've talked a bit about what it's going to be like as a player in Exile and the autonomy you'll have in exploring the world while still existing in the continuity of the world. Can you speak some to how it will be for those who are going to be the GM or Game Master storytellers as far as how they will be able to participate in adding to the world while also not going outside the boundaries in order to remain in the continuity? And I really love that question. It's a terrific question. Uh, So this wild thing about the world of Esser is we have multiple media projects in flight at the same time. So some of our projects are in development and some are in pre-production. Some are verging on production. And... Based on the way the media ecosystem works, we don't know what will start first. <laughs> so we don't know how to die, which is actually not a big deal because the the setting and the information management in the setting is designed so that we don't have to know what media leads first. The world is going to be there doing what the world does. It doesn't matter where we point the camera at first. But the infrastructure coordinating different storytellers in the world So you can imagine, in our view, an author writing a graphic novel or a novel is a storyteller operating in the world of Esser. A screenwriter writing a film or television project or a narrative podcast is a storyteller. And, yeah, a game master is a storyteller in the world of Esser. And uh, making sure everyone can tell their stories well without breaking the continuity of the world we're pretty proud that we have a system that can do that, but it's got to be tested that we can't scale it too fast or it will implode like a black hole. So where we've started that process by coordinating, you know, a select number of GMs at, at notation only to contribute alongside writers. And so at first, when you play with your friends at a table, we have two styles of play. Uh, the first is called play with friends. And when you play with friends, By one means or another, you get access to our source materials, and you run your table like any other TTRPG game. So we're building very robust world documentation. I'd I'd say, you know, in the first year, we'll be a source book level scope to our world documentation that you have at your fingertips. But you do whatever you want to do in your little copy of Vesser. You want to destroy hash, destroy hash, right? (laughs) Whatever whatever you want to do. But then that would be a non-canon game. If you want to play a canon game, that's going to happen through something we're calling Play With Us. And we will have official tables with Game Masters who are in connection with our world-building team, what we call our continuity help desk. So the same people that someone writing a TV show Uh, or someone writing a novel in the setting would talk to about how to scope their story, you'd be talking to us as well. So obviously we have to scale that slowly, but we see a path relatively quickly to where a handful and then dozens and then potentially hundreds of tables are canonical, canonical, canonical tables that exist in the same continuity 
Typo Panther knows better than most people that I have some experience being in settings telling stories with continuity across tables. And then anyone who looks at my IMDB page knows I have some experience working on media projects that span or franchise IPs that span a lot of films and a lot of TV shows. So I've kind of taken the learnings with both of those and built the information management model to make that possible, which is probably what I like is my most unique lane in the company. I feel like, you know, the other people in the world bidding team and included have far surpassed the 50% mark in terms of shaping the world and bringing it to life, which I, I am excited about and wanted actively. But that piece is probably what I'm, I'm most excited about is, is helping storytellers tell stories that really work, but that don't confuse the audience and, I'll tell you one thing that's really important, just like the escalating scale creep. Like we encourage people to tell personal stories in this fantastical world. So don't like have your party of four people go toe to toe with an existential threat to the world. Because if they do, the same thing would happen to them that would happen to four people on earth who tried to face a, an existential threat. They will die and fail. So we encourage people, like, what, what, is, what are stories investor about? Finding love, finding meaning, finding friendships, and making your life happen in a very difficult world. If you tell stories on that scale, they'll do pretty well. Now, don't get me wrong. Hesh is a, the Vahashoth are constantly under serious threats, an existential threat to society is what Vahashoth would call Tuesday. So there's always high stake storytelling, but we don't constantly escalate. Well, we saved exile. Now we got to save Hash. Well, now we got to save the continent of Nodule. Well, now we got to save the planet. Well, now it turns out there's aliens. We got to save the galaxy. We're going to avoid that that scope creep, which will help as well. One one thing with it too is the number of threats that we would perceive as like existential threats are so commonplace that it kind of stops scope creep in its tracks because it's it's such a different setting that it's hard to write the and then this bigger fish came and ate this fish and this bigger fish like the like the, there's always something bigger. There's too much going on that's already at odds with itself that there's no need to bring in that dynamic to reference intrusion, which Mike talked about. It it has a sequence in it that Alex wrote that is terrifying. Yeah. The, the creature that they are up against is truly terrifying, and that's essentially a not everyday threat for the inhabitants of exile, but not an uncommon one. In our setting, the, the, the hero's already lost. Yeah. Like the big fish already, like the, the empire used to span an entire continent and have millions and millions and tens of millions of people in it, and now it's one little city on an island, and then one tiny settlement across the sea one thing to typo panther's question as well is we are working on an infrastructure to be able to take submitted content as well yeah so eventually if there's something that goes on at a home table that you know you're sitting there and you're like oh that was really cool we should send this to the team and see if they like want to incorporate this in the canon of world that will be something that we're working towards and that's one of the main motivations for how robust we want the storytelling like implements that we're handing to GMs to be because we want everyone at every table to have the tools they need to be able to write cool stories and experience things and if it's if it's done well then we we want to do everything we can to support that and encourage like 
home tables and our play with us tables to be essentially as good as they can be. Yeah. Lots to share there in the future. Yeah. Wonderful. And then we have one more question. Jared Marma from TikTok asks, how are you collecting data from the games? So luckily we just answered the question we did because Mike introduced us to the idea of the play with us tables. And because those are tables that we're starting in a relatively small number and then expanding out, it's allowing us to fully build out our infrastructure for collecting data and uh, compiling that information. And I'm going to bounce this over to you, Mike, because I know that your information structure brain is already going. But then that that will allow us to get the basis for how we want to collect data. That there will also be the sort of what I alluded to before with the home table submitting things. But but we're working on how to collect data, not only from GMs, but from players as well. Yeah. So a couple of things that word data can mean a couple of different things. If you're saying, how do we gather personal data in the way that you know, video games or web apps gather. We don't. <laughs> There's no mechanism for us to get your data. You know, we're working on modules for VTTs. We're not going to collect any data from those. It's just not going to be a thing. Uh, we're not putting an app in the app store at this time. If we did, I suspect the privacy thing would be like, we don't collect anything except like diagnostic data, the app crash. We don't know why. But in terms of like data, in terms of what's happening at your table to contribute to the world, there's several mechanisms that are kind of like roadmapped. The first thing is we need to collect the events that occurred. In history, you went somewhere, you did a thing. If the entrance to the temple collapsed, the next time someone goes there, the temple entrance needs to be collapsed. So we have to collect those events. That will happen through session documentation. And then the events, the, which a GM will identify as significant or world-altering, will get ported into the world documentation. So the next time a GM looks at that asset, they'll be like, oh, well, I was going into that place, but now there's a cave-in. Well, now you've got an encounter. How does your party get past the caved-in entrance to this ruin? So that's events. The other thing, a lot of tabletop role-playing games, you make your character sheet and you get abilities and you get spells. And those are like rigidly defined. Our system abilities are a little bit less defined to start with. And there's a mechanism in game to basically improv a new ability. And if you keep improving that ability, it becomes an ability you just have. It gets easier and easier to improv it. And then it just like goes on your character sheet. Well, we're going to make a system where your character could train other people to do that in the Garden of Suktu. And if your character does that, now that ability is in the world and it's someone else could select on their character sheet. And so you can imagine that kind of methodology. When you do things in world, it changes the world. And then we're building the technical infrastructure to allow like what we would call homebrew in most TTRPG settings to be part of the world, to get play tested, to be appropriate. And then once it's like in the world, if someone's writing a movie in the world of Vesser and they're looking at all the abilities available, well, they might pick your ability for the protagonist of the film to have and you like made it at your table. And we think that kind of data collection is really fun. And there's some other important details I'm not going to cover on the show because it's too premature about, you know, IP rights ownership and uh, we're not about free labor exploitation and things like that. So, 
you know, but uh, when we get closer to launching those things, we'll have more to say. Oh, there is another thing I was just thinking about that we use some of this data for is one, one of the best ways to have a world feel like rich and real is to have events happening that aren't directly happening to your party members. So it's not just you on your like amusement park track ride throughout. There's things going on. And so the data that we collect from games as far as events and things that happen influence what party members could see as they're going through. If they're going through a region that we just talked about, the exalted that can turn the sky to night is happening, they might have a moment where the world goes black and everything is dark and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Or they might, you know, see or hear things that are going on separate from their adventure and having tables playing where people are organically interacting with the world offers a lot of really natural ways to incorporate the events that are happening around all of these people. Anything else you want to share on that, Mike? I was trying to think of a, an exalted version of a total eclipse of the heart, and I just couldn't get there. Uh, okay, so I was like, work. something's going on. I can see yeah, your no, brain was, just, was working. Land it. I'm stuck on a total eclipse of the dart, and I know that's nothing. <laughs> Unless it was like a really powerful cipher, you throw a dart and the world goes back black. Or like a mine cart. It could be a total eclipse of the cart. Total eclipse. Yeah. 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 That, that more go, sounds like it's careening We could go middle school boy and it could be a total eclipse of the fart. I mean, yeah. There we go. Of... <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> I mean, if you like blacked out all your Excel sheets, then you'd have a total eclipse of the chart. Hmm. Or, or if you uh, broke one of your ciphers, you could have a total eclipse of the part. Uh huh. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> if it happened during the Olympics, right as the starter pistol was fired, then you have a total eclipse of the start. If it's a little risque, a total eclipse of the tart. I don't know how oh. that quite works. Oh, but... <laughs> oh, especially if you didn't like it. <laughs> like this is unacceptable. Oh, you're out drinking with your friend Bartholomew. It's a total eclipse of the Bart. <laughs> That's oh, you just won. You just won. You yeah. just won, Anne. You did it's it. Just Anne. like Bart. <laughs> I used to be able to do a really good Bart Simpson voice, and then I had puberty and it went away. Oh, happens to the best of us. There's a lot of voices I used to be able to do, like when I was, you know, fifth, sixth grade. And then, and then my voice is like, "What if we just went down here?" <laughs> and I can only do like deep, like what if you play at a table with me? Like I invariably like to have lots of NPCs with deep voices and you know yeah. monster voices and what because it's easy, but it's like voicing a single femme. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> you'll be happy to know I've been working on my voices when I read to the baby at night. I've been Excellent. I've been working oh, yeah I've been trying to work on some voices. She just looks up at me like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> like it's for work, babe. It's for work. Buddy gets like upset if I do voices. Like okay. he goes ballistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, unless I'm talking to him like a baby, which he's used to. <laughs> <laughs> that does go back to uh, Mike. What you say is is that you're not doing a bad voice. Like a bad Scottish accent. You're doing a perfect lower delta accent. Yes. And it's right. every 
So you're you're doing a perfect accent or perfect voice for whatever situation it is. Speaking of accents and fantasy settings, and this is totally off base. And you've been playing Baldur's Gate, Anne. Baldur's Gate. I 3? have been playing Baldur's Gate quite a bit. Jeez. Jeez. Right now, I'm in like, oh, this is the best piece of media ever made. Is kind of where I'm at right now. Like it's. This is what I keep hearing. It's extraordinary. Everyone's saying it. Yeah. It's super complex i love it it of course has some of the issues that the setting always has had of course it but it's so good oh mike sorry side note did you go back and get carlac i did okay but unfortunately i got carlac in my uh utter evil playthrough and oh carlac no carlac was like it's gonna say baby girl's not gonna be down for that no 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 others were like i'm surprisingly down yeah uh but no carlac was not down if you haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, go play Baldur's Gate 3. It's incredible. And if you're like, my PC isn't good enough, that's fine. That's what debt is for. Just, just get <laughs> I don't know. Mine has PC. been chugging along with it. Like, it has proven to be tougher than the conceptions I have of it. I have an RTX 4080 graphics card, and I've got a 5800X 3D CPU. I've got, obviously, NVMe drive, all in a really high airflow case. I built the whole rig. It's beautiful, my pride and joy. So uh, I've not been chugging through Baldur's Gate 3. I've been rocking it 4K, everything ultra. Let's go. So it's gorgeous. It's just, anyway. I like it because it gives me some of the environmental like experience of, you know, when you're going through the forge and there's the lava. My computer also makes sure that I'm experiencing the lava. It's super Indeed. hot. It's super hot. <laughs> What, what I love, this is still behind the scenes building Vesser, like the kind of stuff we're into, the kind of things we'd aspire to. Because Larian is basically an indie studio that has shown up all the AAA studios. The AAA studios are mad that people like it so much. They're like, we don't want to spend that much on a game. What I love about it is the dialogue, of which there is a lot. It's like, compared to previous RPGs, well, it's very Larian. But if you think about Skyrim, where like you go to talk to an NPC and they just stare at you. And then they, like, talk, but they don't really have any affect. Like, Asterion is so over-the-top dramatic. But, like, there's animation, but it's not mocap. So it's, like, it doesn't hit the uncanny valley. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes video games get, like, almost real, but not quite real enough. So they kind of, in a, in a not Pixar style in terms of the art style, but Pixar style in terms of avoiding the uncanny valley. It's so engaging. And so like the dialogue scenes, which you're making choices in, that's the first game I felt that like the the narrative piece feels as dialed in as a film, television project, or a novel. I mean, it's just, you get really, really high levels of emotional engagement. And even though the combat's like pretty good turn-based combat, like it's good combat. Like, it's definitely the RP of a role-playing game is it takes center stage. And it's like what I'd always hoped to see made was that much dialogue with that many choices that actually have an impact, not just on the meta plot, but on relationships between you and other characters and even characters and each other is extraordinary. I am not so technically driven, as y'all very well know. So for me, like, obviously the visuals that, that Anne has created, you know, are just a small taste of what we will see. But it, to me, sparks my imagination. 
So I have like a fully realized like visual setting in my mind of like what exile looks like, what the Garden of Sutu looks like, what just having played an adventure, like what I'm looking at in the setting. So all that really excites me and I'm excited to see I whatever is in my mind, I know Anne is going to make it that much more impressive. But just with the few visuals that that we have seen so far, that excites me. And then obviously it's always about character for me. And it's always about the relationships and the wrinkles in the relationships and all of the things that go that go into it, the complications, the tenderness, the connections. So that's what excites me. No matter no matter what we're doing, I'm always like, let's get to character creation, let's get to dialogue, let's get to like what is motivating the people, whether it's the game or whether it's a scene in a movie or a TV show, like that is always what I'm interested in, getting into the writing room and and figuring out what those stories are and what the character arcs are and the relational arcs. I don't even know if to comment on the Uncanny Valley. Like Mike t- Mike taught me what that was. You guys were like, remember? You were like, this is amazing. And you you sent me the latest rendition of – I don't even remember what the game was. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> That does not look remote. Like if if it, to me it just looks like an animation. I'm like, wow, that's a cool animation. But like, no, that does not look like a person. And you all you all were stunned by this, which I find so interesting. I wish I had Twitch still because it would be fun to do like the first hour of Baldur's Gate, including character creation. But Victory makes all the choices watching the stream. I think that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> It'd be fun to get you like see your reaction in real time. Yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. To this game, yeah. Especially the interpersonal aspect, because there is a whole thing. I went through the back half of Act Two with only one actual combat encounter. Mm-hmm. I got through the rest of them without with with talking, and so yeah. I think I think it'd be interesting to drop victory into that and see like <sighs> your responses to the dialogue options and stuff like that. There's got to be talking. Yeah, but what's funny about I love about TTRPGs is there's people who are like you know I really just want to fight, and then they get in and all they do is role play, and then there's people who are like you know I just don't like the fighting, and then they have one combat encounter and they roll a clutch natural twenty and defeat the, the the bad guy and then they just want to roll initiative every encounter <laughs> so it'd be funny if like we start playing and victor is like punch him in the face smash him to the ground <laughs> which by the way it's been baldur's gate's been out for two weeks i have 95.2 hours in the game <laughs> wow i i wish i could say mine was different so it's like basically i get done working i'm like well Time to play Baldur's Gate until 1 (laughs) a.m. The only thing I can say is we've been, John and I have been sharing a computer, so at least it's not all my hours. I've been the primary first player this go-around, because a lot of times we'll, like, trade back and forth who's playing the most. But it's, it's, I can at least say not all of the hours are mine. Right. Hmm. Also, Mike, I was listening to someone play it, and instead of, uh, having Carlax smash they've started up something they called Carlax delivery service where she just throws everyone to the locations they can't get to 
I was about to say, you got to be careful saying the phrase Carlac smash, giving the, oh, uh, yep. the memes out there. <laughs> a big focus of Baldur's Gate is uh, romantic relationships between you and members of your party. And so Carlac is, uh, I think I've heard Carlac on TikTok called muscle mommy mm. quite often. <laughs> so Carlac smash. For some people, they'd be like, yeah, Carlac smash. It's like, no, we, when she's barbarian, she punches Thanks for listening, everyone. If you have a question that you would like us to answer on the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Follow us on our socials where you can find us at World of Vesser on all the platforms and put your questions in the comments. Also, to join our waitlist and be the first to know about upcoming events, go to Vesser.com, V-E-S-S-E-R.com. And please join us next week for more of Building Vesser. Bye. See you later. Pafua Amediju Arasu.